Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Powell Smith of the Gobbledygeek Podcast. And joining me, as always, are... Eric Siepel. Erlo Wiele. Uh, and each week, we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episode that we're discussing tonight, unfortunately, this week. God damn you, Arlo. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Arlo, poor life choices, Wiley, uh, thought that it would be germane to our mission here at the Avatar Returns to watch and discuss writer-director M. Night Shyamalan's 2010 biopic, The Last Airbender. And I though, just want. Go ahead. No, no, no. Finish your intro. Finish your intro. Uh, well, even though Eric and I are much smarter people than Arlo, uh, are you? We took pity on him and agreed to dedicate an entire episode to this so-called film. So, very unfortunately, that's where we are tonight, ladies and gentlemen. We apologize in advance for any trauma that you may suffer from listening to this podcast, but trust me, it can't possibly compare with the pain that we will all be living with for the rest of our godforsaken lives. I just want to say, just in case anyone thinks this was a random last minute idea that I had, I have been pushing for this since I'm pretty sure before the podcast started. As soon as I agreed to do this Avatar podcast, I think I, I came to you guys and I was like, we're talking about the Shyamalan movie at some point, right? And you guys were having none of it. Um, I tried. I wanted us to do it. You know, I wanted us to get through both series and at the end do like a special bonus episode where we just for you know shits and giggles, we talked about the, the Shyamalan movie. Um, but somehow, some way, the only time I could convince you guys to do this was in between seasons of The Legend of Korra. Uh, it's odd timing for it, I know. Listen, but... listen, if this was the last thing that we ever did on this podcast, and who knows how tonight goes, this might be the last thing we ever do on this podcast. Uh, but uh, this would be a terrible way to go out. I've loved the Avatar Returns up to this point. It would be a tragedy if the final episode of our series was us talking about this piece of garbage. But see, we could have, you know, we, we raved about Avatar. We're, you know, we're, we're currently raving about Legend of Korra. At the end of the podcast, we could have had a massive, you know, celebration of both series. And then come back for one final episode to self-immolate and burn this motherfucker to the ground. Yes. Well. We did not need to How I Met Your Mother this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Arlo, I love how I make your mother podcast now, right? <laughs> My favorite thing about this is that you could have just written this off as some like drunken idea you had one day that you convinced us of, but you just spent like like fifteen minutes of this podcast telling everyone how dedicated you were to this. Idea. God, I I am I I was and I am I stand by this idea. I think this is going to be a great conversation and a great episode of this podcast oftentimes great art is born of great misery <laughs> okay well well if it helps i actually think that arlo may have been right about us watching this as much as it pains me both to say and know that it meant that i watched the last airbender i will say i have never liked Avatar The Last Airbender more than after watching M. Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. 
So mission all right, well, accomplished. All right. Well, we've got it. We okay. Before we get there, we need to we need to ease our way into this, this pool of shit. So um, yes, I want to I want I need to I want to talk briefly. Last week, Paul really wanted to talk about Voltron Legendary Defender, and I begged for a reprieve of a week because I knew I was going to have time to watch it on the trip that I'm on right now. I'm actually broadcasting from Austin. I was in Portland last week, and I knew I was going to have time while I was sitting around like my my hotel. So I did watch it, and Paul gave me the time. And so I have watched Voltron Legendary Defender, and it has an Avatar connection, yes. um, perhaps a stronger Avatar connection <laughs> than The Last Airbender. But it, it's mostly on the directing staff, if I'm correct. It's Joaquin DeSantos, and he's the main connection, right? Yeah, Joaquin DeSantos, and um, I, I cannot remember her name all of a sudden. Um damn it because i had all these notes set up to talk about it before and i don't have them now but anyways yeah so so anyways I, what i think is interesting is that um I, i'm glad we hold it for this because there is a an avatar connection with this on the on at least some of the creative staff not La- the writing La- staff lauren montgomery lauren montgomery is she the um she's one of the executive producers right right yeah yeah um that's right that's right and so this has a primarily a like visual uh, point of reference to, to Avatar, I would say, uh, as opposed to um, Last Airbender, which has a story connection, of, of sort of, uh, to it. So, anyways, I think so. I, I watched it. And I think it's interesting because they're both sort of like, what is it like to be tangential to a great show? Is I think both of them, and they both approach it in different ways. I I definitely will say I'm just going to be the headline is no. You are not going to get the next Legend of Korra or Avatar out of Ultra Legendary Defender. So just like, just just take that out of the mix because you're not going to get that. But it is extremely well directed after the first episode, I would say, mm-hmm. and has some fun stuff the way it goes on. It is it is slowly plotted in a way that Avatar and Korra are not, but it does have, uh, I would say, a fair amount of the visual flair of it. How, what did you think of it, Paul? I think I think you liked it a little more than me, so I'm curious what you, what you thought. I, yeah, I think overall I was more positive on it than you seem to be. Um, I. I did have issues with the pacing, although, uh, you know, if you cast your mind back to when we discussed book two of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, we had we called that out for sort of treading water a lot. So I think um, I think pacing on the, it doesn't necessarily compare to Avatar because I think the pacing issues with this were that it really built up steam as it went. Like it starts pretty slow. I, I didn't dislike the the pilot which was actually the first like three episodes i didn't have as much problems with that as i think you did eric but uh, i do feel like the series definitely hit its stride by the last few episodes um like, like i'd say the the sort of cliffhanger for the season uh worked for me i guess some people have complained about it but uh yeah but I, I thought i thought the last two or three i thought like the maybe i, I want to say like the last arc is probably the last three maybe mm-hmm. of the series and i thought those were pretty strong too yeah um, I like, I mean, again, I've commented, uh, I don't remember what I talked about on the show before, but, uh, I will say that, uh, it, yes, it's not going to be another avatar or Korra because it's just got a much goofier, even though avatar, particularly avatar was aimed at, you know, young kids, uh, Voltron really doubles down on sort of the goofier, wackier, um, sci-fi anime aspects that avatar worked its way around um but even with all of that uh i think the character work there's some some genuinely good like character work that happens 
um, from time to time. I, I yeah. think I, I think I'm hopeful for the second season. Maybe it'll find its footing a little more than perhaps it did in the first season. But uh, but I liked it a lot, and and uh, the characters eventually grew on me. Yeah, I I think that was the case too. It, it has. It, I mean, basically, I think its biggest problem is that it takes an awful lot of time to set up the premise of Ultron, which no one needs set up. Right. Like, if the pilot has a problem, I mean, it really does spend those entire three episodes getting us to the point where we can have Voltron, and we just don't need that much time right. to, to set up Voltron. And, um, but it is the thing that I think is interesting is in both cases, in both the last Airbender and in Voltron, we both get a case where we have, I would say, pretty proficient directors in their craft when it comes to their, you know, like, Shyamalan has had a rocky couple of years, but the, the guy has talent. You know right. what I mean? He's definitely been all. And Joaquin um, Dos, Dos Tantos is um, one of the better directors from Avatar. Agreed. And so what we get is, in both cases, views of what it's like to have great directors without the writers that made those stories really good. And I would say that Voltron is much more successful than The Last Airbender, but I think they're both step downs on a level that show when you pull the storytelling staff out of the mix mm-hmm. that you don't get the same thing anymore. That, and you, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying you, that you wouldn't get something different if you pulled the directors out. The directors of Avatar and Korra matter too, so I'm not saying that. But we really can see what happens when the heart – I would say that neither Voltron nor Last Airbender have the intensely beating heart of either Avatar or Korra. Oh, that's or, abs- absolutely true. Or the comics, which also have an intense writing staff behind them. So um, I like them, but I think that like we get an interesting thing of like, what does it look like when you take talented people minus other talented people? <laughs> and <laughs> something something elemental can change when that happens. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I, I will definitely continue to watch it and see if it, it can sort of, you know, fix maybe some of the, the dings and dents that it's got from this first season. Like, um, I, it didn't really bother me in the first season that they did this because it's, it's the joke of the source material that every single time they form Voltron, you've got that, that animated sequence <laughs> of all the lions coming together and him pulling out. I mean, it's the same sequence every time. And, uh, the original series did that. Um, so I understood that that was the joke. That's sort of the gimmick of this show, but I'm kind of hoping maybe in the second season that they'll let go of that. We get the joke. They did it for a season. Now let's move on. Oh, I don't think we're done with it. I think we're getting it every episode. Yeah. Voltron's going to come together and we are going to get, it's going to be, I mean, it's very anime in sailor moon. We get the full transformation sequence every time. Yeah. So I think that that we might be stuck with it. I, um, Paul, one thing you had, you had talked about last week and then you'd mentioned when we were talking on Twitter a little bit about it that I think is worth noting is that it is definitely more anime styled mm-hmm. than say like Korra or Avatar. Korra and Avatar borrow from anime yeah. but have a, a fairly distinct style. This is very anime-ish and I would say it is fairly successful okay. at its anime stylings. Okay. I think that when it it is playing in an anime um, field that isn't quite my thing. Like I love giant robot stuff, but Voltron giant robot stuff is a little different than like Gundam style giant robot stuff. Yeah. So it's not quite my my milieu, but it is. It was. I thought if you if you didn't know this was not a Japanese produced series, mm-hmm. I don't think you would know it from looking at it. Yeah. Um, I also really liked the voice cast. I, yeah, I think for the most part, the voice cast was pretty great. And the, the big surprise for me 
was, uh, well, the two surprises. Tyler Labine, I mean, I know who Tyler Labine is, but Tyler Labine as Hunk really, really struck me as Bolin. He is the Bolin of Voltron. Like there were there were times where some of his line deliveries and his voice, it really almost sounded like Bolin from Korra. Uh, and then the other surprise for me was Reese Darby, who is just great in everything he does. But like the, in the first few episodes, hearing Reese Darby as that character, I was like, oh, God, I hope this goes away quick. <laughs> but he really grew on me. I really loved him by the end. I agree. Um, I would like to put a pin in um, Stephen Yorn, uh, um, who is Keith, because we are going to be hearing his voice very soon in episodes to come yes. of The Legend of Korra yeah. in a very important role at that agree um so we're gonna so keep an eye keep an eye on that. actually a good a good connection there um uh, yeah i thought the cast the overall the cast was was really was pretty good i thought that they all did a really good job um it was well well put together um i agree about reese darby who i was like no and then by the end i was like all right i kind of <laughs> like him um and i agree tyler labine was was very i think tyler labine is an underrated actor because he has an obvious shtick and it's easy to just write off his shtick mm-hmm. But he's also pretty talented, I think. So yeah. I'm glad I watched it. Thank you for pushing me to watch it. I don't know if I would have without this, so I appreciate the push. Um, maybe Arlo will watch it at some point and have nothing but negative things to say. Because I, I think in the spectrum of things, it was like, this is something that Paul would be more more positive about. Eric would be medium positive, And Arlo will be like, what the fuck did you make me watch? Which I hope happens because you deserve it based on what we're about to talk about. Honestly, my takeaway from this whole conversation is that Sailor Moon is pretty dope, you guys. Let's it talk is. about Sailor Moon. You learned the right thing. Uh, no, I actually, I, I did watch, uh, I watched like the first third of the first episode, which equals <laughs> out to about a whole episode of the Voltron series, and I liked it. I, I enjoyed the, the 20 minutes of it I watched, but for whatever reason, I just didn't, I didn't make the time. To, to watch the rest because I am a failure. It's it's not like I co-host a podcast where I knew this was going to be a forthcoming topic of discussion. Yeah. So true. You had no way of knowing this was going to happen. No way. No way at all. All right. You get a pass. Uh, for you do not get a pass for uh, what we're about to talk about, though. So. Yeah. And let's, yeah. and let's remember what we're about to talk about is a seminal moment in the Avatar Returns podcast because it is, I think, the one. And only time. No, maybe we'll get another one, but I think this is the one for a while where Paul is the newbie and thus gets to start us off. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, shit. That's right. This is the first time you've been the newbie for the Shyamalan movie. Oh, my God. Now, oh. okay, just to be fair, we're all newbies on this, though, right? Yeah, but, right. but we were, but, but two of us were newbies on the comics and I started. Yeah, okay. So that, that means that you, you get, since you are the. The newbie who has not had a chance to be the newbie yet, that means that you get to start us off on okay. M. Night Shyamalan, The Last Airbender. All right. That's, that's fair enough. I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that neither one of you had watched this before and still committed to this because I would be walking away right now if that was the case. But all right. So I will start us off. Um, God, can't we just keep talking about Voltron? Fuck. Um, Last Airbender. Yeah, so um, this this is a movie, kind of, sort of. <laughs> this is M. Night Shyamalan's a director, a writer-director who, for his early career, I loved his stuff. Like, I'm a, I'm a serious, I'm a real fan of Sixth Sense, Signs. I absolutely adore Signs, Unbreakable. Um, 
I even I even kind of liked God damn it, what was the fourth one? Uh The Village. The Village. I even kind of liked The Village. Um and I either haven't seen or haven't liked anything that he's done since then, but he gets enough of a pass from me for those first four films that uh I really feel bad bad mouthing him. Like I, I I'm not one of those people that just wants to say M. Night Shyamalan is a hack and can't do anything right. Um, but in this instance, he's a hack and didn't do a single thing right. I, I watched this film and I struggled really, really hard to find a single positive thing to say. This, this was m- much worse than I anticipated. Uh, we've been joking about it every time Arlo would bring it up and, you know, I we would threaten that we were going to have to watch this. I would make jokes about how awful it would be. And can't we do anything else, please? This is going to be horrible. But I expected there to be something redeeming coming out of this. And there really wasn't. There's, I will try and force myself. I have two things that I might be able to say something positive about. Maybe we'll see what kind of mood I'm in by the time we get there. But, um, Really, for the most part, this film fails on every single level that it is possible for a film to fail on. It's so much worse than I actually thought it would be. That's impressive. Yeah. That uh, That is quite impressive. So the way you feel about M. Night Shyamalan, I feel, is pretty typical. Like uh, The Sixth Sense actually wasn't his first movie. He did a couple uh, religious films or really not 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 as in you know the the bargain basement christian type movies that we often think of as religious films but movies about religion mm-hmm. um and then moved on to the sixth sense and i i mean i would say a lot of his movies deal with religious philosophical spiritual yeah. right but the sixth sense for all intents and purposes was the beginning of who we think of as m night Shyamalan. the Shyamalan. That, the Shyamalan. that's a great movie Unbreakable is a really good movie. Like you, Paul, I adore Signs. Uh, I know at the time that people it was it was kind of a controversial movie, but I loved it. Uh, the Village for me is where he sort of stepped off, uh, and then from there it was Lady in the Water. And e- even after Lady in the Water, I was still I was like, there's as lu- as ludicrously bad as that movie is, there was still something left, you know, you know in the tank. I, I was still hopeful Shyamalan could could just put it all back on the table and then something happened and that's something that happened was the happening <laughs> and the happening is one of my all-time favorite bad movies it is colossally bad but it's amazing in that it, it is just it is incredible to think a human being made that movie it is like Aliens got garbled radio transmissions uh, of us. You know, they, they consume these garbled radio transmissions of us for decades and then decided to just make a movie of how, of how they think we acted. And that is what the happening is. It is it's a it's a beautiful film in its own awful, awful way. Um, and then I think I think after the happening, I sort of pieced out on Shyamalan. I think I I, I stopped watching his stuff and. I will say, and I have to credit our good friend, uh, Joseph Lewis, uh, who I watched uh, the last air. Actually, I saw The Happening with him in theaters all those years ago. We we suffered through that together. And then last night, we watched uh, The Last Airbender uh, together. I have to credit him for this observation. In The Happening, spoilers, 
uh, for the happening, by the way, you guys. Uh, the Wind is the villain of that movie. <laughs> and in his very next film, Shyamalan, uh, he, he's made a film where Wind is the hero. <laughs> So he was trying to redeem himself. <laughs> it, it was. It was. Uh, or he was. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of that, but that, that is a connection there. <laughs> and, of course, uh, since Last Airbender, he's done uh, After Earth, the Will Smith Scientology movie nobody saw. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, what was the last one he did about, like, going to – The Devil? The Visit. The visit, yeah, but the the weird going to grandma's house one that some oh. people were like, I think he's making a comeback. I haven't seen it, but I am skeptical to say the least. I forgot uh, about that. But basically, what I'm trying to say is, you're not alone. I feel I think that's how most people feel about Shyamalan. He's an incredibly talented filmmaker who, somewhere along the way, and we can talk more about this when we get into the actual film. Somewhere along the way, he he lost it. He lost something. I'm not saying he lost his talent. He lost the ability to display that talent. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can dig into that as we get into the movie. Well, but but Eric, what what say you? Well, this is I think the so I've I soured on M Night Shyamalan, who I do think I'm gonna mispronounce his name. Screw it. <laughs> I mean he he Avatar Ong. Yeah, he he's a pronunciation bender, as we've learned. So you pronounce it any way you want. I, you know, but I, as much as I like, I think he's talented. I did become a little um, soured on him pretty early, actually. As much as I think Unbreakable is most of a good movie, it does have what I think is an absolutely atrocious ending and sets the stage for a lot of bad, bad endings and plot ideas that would roll out of his movies from then on. Um, but what I do think is interesting is that Unbreakables has a problem, which is one of the many giant weights hanging around the last airbender's neck which is that m night Shyamalan is the anti-action director he has no ability to direct action whatsoever as talented as this guy is he can make any action boring at all and and i realized this during unbreakable when the big scene when he first goes and decides to become a superhero the scene is the camera up in the corner of a room while bruce willis jumps on someone's back and gets bounced against the wall over and over and over again for approximately 13 minutes. <laughs> and that is the first, that is the scene where we see his character become the superhero. And I realized he wasn't going to go for a big action scene. That's fine. But that just shows you how out of the way he was going to go to make, to deal with action mm-hmm. at all. Like it's going to be one camera and it's going to be Bruce Willis slammed against a wall like 37,000 times. That was his entire thing. And then we get into this, and The Last Airbender commits maybe the most cardinal sin that it could of this, which even if it was a bad movie, I could take this. It makes bending boring. Yeah. And every, I could maybe forgive everything else to a certain degree, but he managed to make it. It's not just that he made bending boring. He made bending not a martial art anymore. Right. It's, which... just, it's just magic now. Which this is not one of the two things that I thought I was that I may or may not struggle to to be positive about. But I will say the the lead actor, I use that term loosely, uh, Noah Ringer, who played Ong, um, you know, he was cast because uh, he was actually a martial artist. He had a black belt in Taekwondo and he'd studied several other styles. He was good with weapons and all that. And I feel like you can see that 
like when he's doing what passes for the bending uh, martial arts, like it looks natural. It looks like the kid knows what he's doing. Um, but it, it doesn't capture any of what, what we loved, what I particularly loved about the bending styles uh, in the series. Um, it just, it, um, it looks terrible. It looks absolutely terrible. And the, uh, you know, I have to remember this was 2010, not 2016, but the effects were not really good. I mean, Paul, it was it was 2010. It was six years ago. These special effects should have been great. They should have been better than they were, yes, but... Absolutely. They look... the the Every instance of firebending in this movie looks like a wet fart. <laughs> like, it, it is the least... The least energetic, the least... The least fiery fire I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. This uh, movie is seven years after Return of the King. Good right. point. Good point. Right. Um, yeah, as far as the, 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 the depiction of bending goes, I remember when we first started this podcast, one of the things that initially struck me about Avatar, unlike most, you know, not being a, a, an anime person really, uh, or I'm say, I should say not being well-versed in anime, uh, one of the things that struck me about Avatar was that unlike almost any other animation I had seen, the fight sequences and the way that the bending move, the choreography was genuinely impressive. Each uh, style of bending was its own unique form. And, and as you both told me, each was based on a genuine martial art. Um, and throughout the series, that was one of the, the series consistent strengths the fact that every fight sequence you knew you were going to get something impressive something that made uh something that made a nickelodeon series feel like the most thrilling exciting thing in the world and it it was genuinely impressive and so going into this I knew this was going to be a very bad movie I knew that Shyamalan was not an action director and yet still it absolutely gutted me the first time we saw bending it is so inert and lifeless in this movie it's 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 stunning it's and like i said the thing that makes it so bad to me isn't just that it's badly directed like i was ex i like you i was expecting Shyamalan to not be able to direct action but it is legitimately not a martial art anymore it's not bad martial arts there is no sense of martial arts behind it it is the hand wavy gestures of a bad fantasy wizard Mm -hmm. in this not a martial art i mean yes it has some martial arts like flavor to it you know like the general feel of the flow but it's not like there is a direct connection between the motions and the effects in avatar the whatever they're doing is there's no it's not like disconnected when when someone makes a motion and then water comes out or air or whatever happens you feel like it is part of the strike and that is 100 percent not the case in this movie. Yeah, totally agree. And I, I knew that uh, we weren't going to get an awful lot of earthbending in this. So we, I guess we haven't really set this up. This was, this was meant to be the first in a trilogy. Um, Shyamalan. And apparently he still thinks that it, yeah, we're, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Well, at any rate, this was meant to be the first in a trilogy. So this, uh, what I thought I was going to get, or what I was expecting to get, is a very rough analog for the first season, the first book of Avatar The Last Airbender. 
And it kind of is, I guess. It more or less starts in the same place, and it kind of ends in the same place. So anyways, I knew that earthbending was not going to be a big part of it. I knew Toph wasn't going to be in it, which is heartbreaking. But what little we got of earthbending was pathetic. It was like there, I can think of one shot, a single shot where um, anyone did anything with earthbending that was even vaguely interesting. And that was creating a wall to block a burst of flame or whatever. But the rest of it, you had like, uh, like, I think the usually it was earthbenders throwing pebbles at people. Like literally, I think that was one of the things is they were throwing pebbles at people. And then there was one shot where it took like six earthbenders to lift up a a medium-sized boulder and and move it very slowly towards the bad guys. Yeah, it was earthbending is is was especially depressing to me because earthbending is so strong feeling and we get I think one shot of a group of people stomping on the ground and raising their hands which was like straight up move from mm-hmm. like and then that was it and it was just boring stuff other than that. <sighs> and and can can we point out the fact that so we all know I love that prison episode, right? Yes, I know. Uh, I'm so glad you were going to go here. So glad you were going to go. I, I loved that prison episode, you guys. And they somehow decided uh, in the making of the, no logic went into the making of this film, yet they somehow decided that instead of a metal ship being a prison for earthbenders, yeah. because this is before Toph invented metal bending, after all, that the prison for the earthbenders would be on like on top of earth like in a quarry yeah like it it where it just and then it takes until ong i i I will say i like the pronunciation of most of these names because it allows me to cleanly uh separate them (laughs) yes from from the actual version of the characters so when ong not ang when ong shows up and he's like you guys you're all great people there's earth all around you (laughs) and then and then the revolution starts. Yeah, and then the Earthbender's like, "Oh shit, the kid's got a point." <laughs> like, yeah, what, fact, what was keeping the them act- in line? The stern looks of the Firebenders. The actual, <laughs> the actual dialogue is, "Earthbenders, why are you acting this way? You are powerful and amazing people. You don't need to live like this. There is Earth right beneath your feet. The ground is an extension of who you are." <laughs> and that's all it takes. That's all it takes. And then, oh jeez. And that dialogue is so. That dialogue is. Uh, that every line of dialogue in this movie is like this. People explain things to each other so much mm-hmm. in this movie. Not once, I think, is there a scene where two characters actually talk to one another and reveal any facet of their own personality. No, there so, is there yeah. is an inordinate amount of voiceover exposition that happens uh, in this film. And I've, I've read that um, supposedly the producers have a lot <laughs> to you know they're responsible for a lot of this i guess the decision was made late in the process that they, that they wanted to upscale this to 3d they wanted to up convert it to 3d and because that was a lengthy process supposedly there's about a half hour of stuff cut out of the film because they didn't have time to up convert that so they just cut the film hey, back say that but there is also because i read that as well there is also a quote from Shyamalan when asked about the length of the film being that it's trying to condense a whole season of tv into one movie the fact that before credits it's only about 90 minutes long um and he said 
that he did that intentionally because all his other movies had only been 90 minutes long, and that's just uh, the way he does things. All right, well, then fuck you, Shyamalan, because I, I was we, trying to give yeah. him a little bit of a pass here, but... Uh... Any producer of this film does bear some blame, I agree, because they produced this movie, but we have to remember, M. Night Shyamalan both wrote and directed this. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so... I, this is going to sound silly, but okay. So I, I initially, my thought, Paul, was a lot like yours, which is that I thought this is going to be a bad movie, but there's going to be good stuff. You know, like it's a good enough director. There's going to be something good. And I started to really feel the sinking feeling right off at the very, very beginning when he recreates the opening of Avatar with the people oh, doing yes. those things. Mm-hmm. But they take out like the the voiceover from it. So it's just this boring unexplained thing of people doing like a martial arts move Mm -hmm. and it was and i know this sounds silly like oh they took out the person saying earth fire wind water like like a big deal right but something about that was like a i kind of watched it i kind of took something away from the series but i didn't get it all and i changed things for no good reason to make them more serious and that is the whole movie like what what makes that worse though is that there actually was the voiceover uh, at the beginning, it came. If I correct me if I'm wrong, because I really I think my my brain was trying to protect itself, so the details may be fading. I just watched this yesterday, um, but I think it came before the uh, the earth water, you know I, that stuff. I think so. I the think opening so. there was a there was an opening. There, scroll yeah, no, there is. There's an opening scroll. You're right. The Katara reads the and and first of all, it could have been the exact opening dialogue from the series. They didn't have to change it the way that they did. And if they, if he was going to do the, the four benders, why separate, why not do the voiceover over that? I mean, like why change it that way? I, uh, I knew we were in trouble right from that opening because, you know, the opening of avatar, the opening narration is classic and you, it ends on such a – it's so energetic. It perfectly sets the tone for the series. So it ends with, but I believe Aang can save the world. And then you get the opening crawl of this movie, which is, a hundred years ago, all was right with our world. Prosperity and peace <laughs> filled our days. Like I could tell right from the beginning that th- this movie's problem was self-seriousness. Like you said, he made – he – made everything so much more serious or or his definition of serious. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's a quote from him. I found a lot of quotes in Night Shyamalan about this fucking movie. Uh, but there's a quote from him where he says something like, uh, we took Katara's brother and grounded him, and that opened up a lot of interesting themes for our movie. <laughs> so what he... What he <laughs> in, if you've seen the movie, you will know that Soka uh, bears next to no resemblance to Sokka. He has removed all of the humor and life and personality from Sokka, and what you're left with is nothing. Because it's not like he removed all that stuff and replaced it with a new compelling character. He just took it out and left another character who is there to say things. He's there, and all he has left is a boomerang and no boomerang jokes. No. And, and and yeah, it's and you can see this all the way down to weird things like the design. Like um yeah, Ong's t- airbender tattoo. Yeah, why which is, do that? 
Right. I mean, like, okay, I get what he's thinking. It is, you know, an interesting geometric pattern. Yes. You know, like I get what he's probably the, the cultural ideas behind it. But in doing that, you take a extremely iconic character look and you overthink it. Like he massively overthinks it the same way he massively overthinks um, the name pronunciations. And, you know, it's easy to make arguments that like he was trying like, oh, pronouncing things the way that they should be pronounced or, or whatever. But at the same time, he casts an awful lot of white people in these roles. Yeah. So it's incredibly weird to have the, almost all the main characters played by white people and Except for the firebenders, except for the bad who are, guys, who are not, who are all played by I want to say either Indian or Pakistani actors. I, I'm I, yeah. I I'm not sure if I don't want to say they're all Indian actors, but the ones that I I know of their heritage are Indian. Um, and so you have that's the only the only culture, which is a culture that in the in the series is almost entirely Japanese in its construction. So and at least in its like overall like the the cultural. Uh, shadow it casts on everyone else so it's just it is an incredibly weird set of things to be like i'm gonna pronounce things ong and avatar and, and Soka. the interest uh, what adds uh, we can't ignore the fact that yes this movie was rightfully uh lambasted for its whitewashing even though as i mentioned in a previous episode almost all the voices in the show were white people but that's that's a different conversation. Anyway, oh, this movie yeah. is no that, that that is absolutely. I mean, that is that is true. Absolutely true. I'm not. I don't. You know. But but on the other right. hand, but, like, but, for but, kid, but, like, but for kids watching something, having a show, of course, full of full of characters who don't look like white people, you know, is like kind I of agree. a big fucking deal. I and, agree. But I think a dimension of this we can't ignore is yes, this movie is rightfully criticized for whitewashing. Shyamalan himself is not a white guy. Mm-hmm. He is an Indian American film director, and so I'm not sure what it says that all of the good guys are white and all of the bad guys are Indian. It's it, it, I, that's why I can't even. I'm not even ascribing motivations to this. That's what I mean. Like I don't know what led to these, but to take a tactic where you're going to overly serious up name pronunciations and the tattoos and all those things, but then whitewash the cast is an incredibly odd mix. That is a weird set of things, and I don't understand how both exist in the same thing. Do you know why he changed pronunciations in the movie? There's a quote from him on this. I read this, and I can't remember the exact quote. He says that he wanted to honor uh, the Asian, the, the original Asian pronunciations of the source material. This, to me, says he has literally no idea what Avatar The Last Airbender is. There is no original Asian pronunciations in the source material because it's an American cartoon and literally the only source material is the cartoon <laughs> that does not pronounce any of this like that. The, okay. The thing that confuses me, well, there's so much that confuses me, but <laughs> like he claims to be like a super fan. Like, so he, he discovered the show when his daughter wanted to dress up as Katara for Halloween one year. And he was so obviously his how, daughter. How much do you think his daughter hates him now? For real. For <laughs> real. Why wasn't she on the board of directors of this film? <laughs> Anyways, so uh, so uh, he said that he checked out the show and it became regular viewing in his family that they, they loved the show. Like he has described himself as a super fan of this thing before. The film looks like he has only the slightest passing knowledge of the show. Um, I mean, I guess points for pulling out an obscure reference, like the prison episode, <laughs> but, right. uh, but I don't know. There's just so much of it that 
it looks like someone uh, directing a film based on, you know, third hand knowledge. Well, you know what it series. is? Even and this even includes the weird glossing over of episodes. It feels like he adapted the Wikipedia page. For yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Which which to okay, so I have a question for you guys because as I was watching this, I was trying to so uh, Joe, who I watched the movie with, when we first started this podcast, I think he wound up following along with us for a few episodes. So he watched some of the first season of Avatar and really enjoyed it. But since I was the one who was not the newbie in this situation, I was trying to explain to him while we were watching, like, wait, this actually wasn't terrible, I promise. Um, but one thing I couldn't remember, I need you guys to clarify this for me. Uh, Zuko as the Blue Spirit, I remember that great episode where he frees Aang uh, it's one of the best episodes in the first season. I can't remember what was his motivation for doing that. In which one? In the prison episode? No, no, no. The 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 blue spirit episode. Zuko winds up freeing Aang. And oh, they wind, like oh, be- because episode. because uh, Commander Zhao was gonna uh, take the Avatar back, um, and I, I mean Zuko Zuko wanted the Avatar for himself. Right. Is is that right? I mean, he wasn't. I don't think he intended to just free Aang. Like, I think he was he was getting Aang for himself. Yeah, no, that's what it was. He was freeing him because he didn't want Zhao to be the one to bring him back, and he would rather let Ong go, <laughs> rather let Aang go than let Zhao be the one to bring him back. Right. Okay. Uh, so that motivation was clearly set up in that episode, even though I couldn't remember it. That was clearly in there. I'm not sure, like, because I watched this movie again just last night and still was at a loss as to, like, I couldn't remember what Zuko's motivation had been because this movie brings in the Blue Spirit thing and ascribes almost no motivation to it. It really does feel like, you know, he read the Wikipedia article because there's, there's no reason for the Blue Spirit to be in this movie whatsoever it's a confusing subplot that goes nowhere and then has the unfortunate side effect of butchering one of the best scenes in the entire series where you know uh ang and zuko were in the forest together and have that whole conversation that underlines the philosophical differences between the two of them and how they could be friends but do you think we could ever have been friends right And, and instead in the movie zuko wakes up on the ground and ang hops up a tree Mm-hmm. It's 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 utterly pointless. So we we've talked many many times over the course of this podcast about how amazing a character Zuko is. Yes. And um I guess maybe Zuko comes the closest to getting an almost good treatment. Like no, it's not true. It's Zuko's still terrible in this, but I think maybe he's the best of all of them in the film. Yeah, I no, I, it, I agree there. It doesn't hurt that he's played by one of the only real actors in the movie. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I will be honest, I'm not a huge fan of Dev Patel in general, but he is a, he is an actual actor with actual <laughs> acting chops, which you cannot say about 95% of the cast. Well, well actually, so, so most of the, this is the weird thing. So the Fire Nation actually has a fair number of decent actors right. behind it. And I actually, I, 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 in the fairness, because I don't want to be an asshole and get, uh, people's backgrounds wrong. So both Dev Patel and um, 
um, Asif Mandavi, who played uh, Admiral Zhao or General Zhao or whatever, um, is are Indian. But um, Cliff Curtis, who plays Fire Lord Ozai and is, is unfortunately extremely boring as him, is, is Maori. He's Maori, from New Zealand. Yeah. And um, Sean Taub is Iranian. Um, you may know him better from Iron Man as um, uh, Yenzen. Crap, what's that? Yenzen. Yenzen. Yes. Um, so he's he's Iranian. So uh, apologies. But either way, like that are those are basically the the good the four good actors in the movie. I mean, like that's it. There you go with like yeah. the good acting in the movie. And and honestly, as much as I like Cliff Curtis, he is a terrible Fire Lord Ozai. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> yeah. And and Sean Taub is Sean Taub is not a good Ira Ero. He is not a good hero. He is not a good hero. And not just because he's skinny, which is not a good start, because Iroh's got to be fat. Like, he's got to be. It's part of the character. This guy loves eating, loves not giving a shit. He should not be a skinny. It's like an anorexic Santa Claus. (laughs) It's just not right. It's it's Uh, not just that Iroh is a badass character who is not skinny, which which is done too little in television in the first place. It is tied to, like, his overall physical presence is just part of his character. And to take mm-hmm. that away from him is bullshit. And, and Sean Tube does his best to try to do it, but he's also a boring character in this. So Eero is also a fail. Agreed. I would say the only actor in this movie who looks like he's having fun, and that's – I'm stretching the definition of fun. But the only actor who looks as if he's putting any real – like, like I, I don't know. Asif Manvi. As Commander Zhao, maybe it's just because I love Asif Manvi in general, and am therefore willing to see the best in 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 his shit. Uh, but he seemed to be the only one who had any sort of delight behind his line readings, any sort of melodramatic, like relishing of the the awful dialogue he was giving. Everyone else was just super super boring. Yeah, yeah, lots of. Lots of really boring, bored-looking people in in this movie, and I, I mean, I don't, the fact of the matter you take that you would take Fire Lord Ozai, voiced by Mark Hamill in ninety-eight percent Joker mode, and make <laughs> yeah. him boring is. I, I don't even know why you add Fire Lord Ozai to this movie. Frankly, it's already overstuffed. Ozai is not in the series at this point. There's no need. To have Ozai in this. God, I can't believe I hadn't even thought of that. We made such a big deal out of the fact that uh, that you never saw Ozai's face. Yeah, he was he was like Claw in Inspector Gadget. Exactly, and it I I was already so disgusted with this film. I'd yeah. forgotten all about that. Yeah, that did not occur to me whatsoever. He's just a boring bad guy who like you barely realize he's a bad guy because he's he's barely has a presence in the hey, movie. Hey, I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now because just in case I want a director version of this film. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the cast list, and two things I noticed. I haven't read all of them, but for uh, for Asif Manvi uh, as Commander Zhao, it says, a hot-tempered Fire Nation commander in pursuit of the Avatar. He is Zuko's principal rival. He has an obsession with libraries. And then <laughs> the other <laughs> the other interesting thing I see here is Isaac Jin Solstein as Haru, uh, who... Right. Yeah, that's your boy, Arlo. Yeah. For him, it says he started the prison uprising by earthbending a pebble at the back of the head, at the back of the lead Fire Nation soldier's head. That's what it says. That's the character's trait. He earthbended a pebble at the back of the lead Fire Nation soldier's head. I was I was briefly terrified when they introduced Haru that they were he was going to try to cram in a terrible version of Toph. Yes. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> yeah, it when was, that there, it didn't there, even occur to me. There was just me. a moment where I was like, 
no, 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 you can't do this. Yeah, when that kid shows up, it didn't occur to me that we were going to the prison. I was like, and they kept saying, hey, like she kept saying, you can't have him or whatever. And I was like, is that a him? I think that's a girl. Are they about to try and sneak Toph in like this? So, yeah. Uh, oh, what a, this is, this is, this is so bad. Everything about this is, is, is just so bad. I mean, just like reliving this and I'm like thinking I, through these scenes and it's, I think what's really telling about the weird Wikipedia article structure of this movie is that the original, uh, apparently Shyamalan's original draft, like he sat down and instead of being like, I am going to figure out a way to tell the, the, the broad, the, 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 the broad brush stroke version of this story in two hours, instead of doing that from the get go, he sat down and adapted all 20 episodes of the first season. And the yeah. original, his original draft would have been a seven-hour film. And so then he just went through uh, – presumably went through and just took shit out. And I think I'll, that, I'll that explains everything about the bizarre structure of this movie. Could you imagine a seven-hour version of his idea of what Avatar the last Arbunder is? <laughs> I, I, can, I can imagine very clearly myself uh, committing suicide yeah. uh, during a screening of the seven-hour version of Avatar the last Arbunder. So <laughs> we should mention a Seychelles Gabrielle. Yeah, I was, I was, I was about to go there. I, I, uh, Asami is there in, in a, in a not very good role, but, yeah. but I close my eyes occasionally and just imagine that she was Asami. Um, yeah. So this, uh, I think we mentioned this, Arlo, you might've talked about this in an episode when we yeah. were discussing uh, legend of Korra that, uh, Seychelles Gabrielle, the voice of Asami before she got that role, she her career could have ended in this piece of garbage film. She plays Princess Yue. Yeah, uh, I have to imagine that. So uh, Konietzko and uh, DiMartino are they're disgusted by this film. Mm -hmm. Their official position on the movie is that they pretend it doesn't exist. Dante Bosco has never seen it because he was told not to mm -hmm. by them. <laughs> Uh, really? Yes. Yeah, yes. That's that's actually uh, that, you're not just making that up. Bonte Bosco's no, never seen it. A, he he did a Reddit AMA where they asked him about his opinion on the movie, and he was like, "They told me not to see it, so I didn't." <laughs> I I I, uh, I read some of his comments when the film was coming out. People were asking his opinion because he ha he has or had a blog, and they were asking his opinions on the the whitewashing, the race bending, and so. <laughs> This is before the film came out. He was saying, I don't know if I would go so far as to say that uh, you should boycott this or that I'm going to boycott it, but I'm not going to see it opening weekend is what he said at the time. Well, so he apparently saw, he never saw it at all. No, here's, so here's the AMA thing. Someone asked him and he said, believe it or not, I never saw it. I had lunch with Mike and Brian, the creators of Avatar. There's lots of ellipses in this. I'm not going to bother trying to recreate those. They, they told me never to see it. Ha 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 ha. I don't know. I'm still curious. I think I should still get together with some fans either in real life or online and watch it together. Oh, God. He, he needs to not do that. Yeah. He needs to just listen to this episode of our podcast and get in touch with us. I'll send him the link on Twitter. Um, uh, but no, so anyway, so I, I have to imagine as far as Seychelles Gabrielle goes um, that she somehow ran into – this is my fan fiction version of how things happened. She somehow ran into – uh, Konietzko and DiMartino at a convention or something and they bonded over their sheer hatred of this pile of shit 
uh, to the point where they had to bring her on to uh, on to Legend of Korra. That in my head, that's how it happened. They just bonded over their dis- shared contempt of this awful perversion of Avatar: The Last Airbender, and they had to bring her on board. At some point in that conversation, she was like, "All I wanted to do was be a character in Avatar," mm-hmm. and they were like, "Okay, yeah, we can do we can do that. That is, that, is, that we understand." And the thing is, and actually, okay, I don't know how she is as an actress because this is the only thing I've seen her in, live actor, actress, I mean. And, and this is not something to judge on because everyone is bad in this movie, including good actors like Cliff Curtis are bad in this movie. But she is a really good voice actress. She is a really mm-hmm. good voice actress. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I, I, so I'm – and I you know, when I would – and I really am I kidding. Every once in a while I would be like – I just, I just kind of want her to be Asami right now because I need to escape this movie. So I would just try to see if I could hear Asami in her voice and I was able to. And it was like she is really good at the – like her voice acting is good. So – because Yue is another character who is not – who is not served well by this. Not that any character is. Katara right. isn't. Soka isn't. Iro isn't. Um, but I want to make a special – Shout out to the utterly useless and boring and highly white Master Paco. <laughs> right? Maybe the whitewashedest of all the whitewashed characters in this movie. Also super dull. Also, the only reason he exists in the series is to be a sexist dick to Katara. And they take that away and he's just training everyone. Why does he exist in this? Yeah. That is a great oh. question. Also, I'm sorry, we haven't made, made a mention of this yet, but fucking firebenders can't shoot fire. Right. Right. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Okay, so I found myself thinking in in, in the final battle sequence at the, the Northern Water Tribe, the, the Fire Nation Navy is attacking and they're launching like fireballs or whatever at the city. And come to discover that some of those fireballs are actual like like cages of fire that go over the wall and just sit there uh, to give a burning thing for their firebenders to come in and pull fire from. And I I spent half a second trying to just remove myself from the the Avatar Last Airbender aspect of it and say if I just tuned in to some cheesy B sci fi movie uh, or if this was you know a, a one of those crouching tiger, hidden dragon kind of things or whatever. Like, would this be entertaining? Would it be fun to see them uh, launching fire into the city so that their magic firebenders could come in and draw on that as a weapon? And I, I, I only made it, I didn't even make it that far. Like half a second, I was like, maybe, no, no, it's terrible. It's stupid. I mean, if, if in a world where you can't, where firebenders don't shoot fire, then it would have been a kind of clever idea. Um, Except the problem is that – so, I, okay, I can tell. This is like all things. You can actually trace Shyamalan's thought process in this one. And it is the core problem of this movie, which is, well, waterbenders need water. And earthbenders actually have to have earth around. And sure, air is everywhere. Why do firebenders just get to shoot fire? That doesn't make any sense. They should need to have fire around. And yes, okay, if all you knew about the series was just that, that line of reasoning makes sense. Except that throughout the entire series, there are long, deep discussions about the fire inside of firebenders and right. pulling it out. Like, this is not a, a idle thing in the show. I mean, I'm sure it came from the idea that, like, well, there's never going to be enough fire around to make firebenders f- powerful. So firebenders are going to need to be able to generate their own fire. That was obviously where they got there. But then they built that into the fabric of the world. And they made it danger. That made firebenders dangerous for other people. But it also made firebending dangerous for them. 
Yeah, it's the most dangerous of the bending styles because you can hurt people. Because if you can't control the fire inside of you, then then you're going to hurt someone. You may even hurt yourself. And so it is it is deeply a part of fire bending culture. And in, in fact, I would say a lot of the fire bending superiority almost certainly comes specifically from that fact that they can generate their own fire. So it's very easy for firebenders to think they're the superior bending style. Yeah. You take that away. I mean, really, you take that away, and how is the Fire Nation killing anyone? Right. Yeah. How, how did the fire bending? How did the Fire Nation kill the air nomads, who are the, who are at that point the only ones who can effectively generate their own bending? Yeah. Good hey, question uh, that I'm sure Shyamalan didn't ask himself. Let's talk. I, I, I bet Shyamalan wasn't even entirely sure what happened in that. Let's talk for a second. Let's talk yeah, sorry, for a second about uh, Prince Zeppo's barely there scar. Oh, it's another yeah. thing of like, him over serious things. I had to squint to see the scar. Yeah, for the for, in the first scene, I was like, he doesn't have a scar. Like, they they seriously didn't give what does Dev Patel's contract preclude him from having his face messed up? What's going on? You know, I feel kind of bad for Dev Patel because I was reading that so he obviously got his big break uh, in Slumdog Millionaire mm-hmm. and that film which I was not a big fan of but it, it went on to win Best Picture uh, while he was on the set of this future Best Picture winner during his downtime he watched he just like marathoned Avatar The Last Airbender, which, I mean, that's great for him. He got to watch a great show, but he did it so he could study the role to play this part. So he's on the set of a, be- of a future Best Picture winner, intently studying for what will probably go down, I'm just assuming, as the worst performance of his career. He, uh, yeah. he takes Taekwondo. He's, uh, he regularly competes in national and international championships. Uh, Death Patel? Dev Patel, he that's cool. He got a bronze medal in the uh, 2004 championships in Dublin. Good for him. Would it, wouldn't it have been nice if firebending was a martial art in this yeah. movie? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Um, to, to, real quick to go back to Seychelle Gabriel, um, it's very unfortunate that one person had to be in both The Last Airbender and Frank Miller's The Spirit. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> that she, is. Yeah, she earned her. She karmically earned her um, role in Cora. Yeah. She paid her price. She paid her dues in Hollywood. I would absolutely fucking say so. Um, so we have not talked really about the lead actor, mm-hmm. uh, Noah Ringer, as Ong. Uh, I mean, you can't. It's not fair to shit talk a kid. The fact that he's awful in this movie is not necessarily his fault. Everyone is awful in this movie. I've Though, again, I feel bad for him because he has only had one other acting role, and that was in Cowboys and Aliens. Right. Which is a much, much better film than this because unlike Shyamalan post uh, – you know, I didn't even like The Village, but I would say un- unlike Shyamalan post The Village, uh, John Favreau is actually a competent director. Uh, so Cowboys and Aliens is not good, but it's way better than this. But still, this this film – destroyed whatever career he could have had single-handed well maybe he just get, maybe he doesn't want to be let's let's just keep our fingers crossed that he's not broken up about this maybe he just decided that's eh, not for me he he was actually i would say one of the better things in this movie 
Um, I thought he was not terrible. He wasn't given a shitload of stuff to do, but I didn't think he was a he. I don't think he would have been the worst Ang ever. Not that he was the right casting, but he wasn't bad. And yeah, and I, actually, someone has all proven an ability to direct children, and he does an okay job directing him. I think. Yeah, he was all right. I, I he's he was the least of my problems. I think. With yeah, this. I. I mean, and actually, in a lot of ways, okay, much worse of the main cast is Jackson Rathbone as, as Soka. Oh, he's he's terrible. The writing's oh, terrible, and he's terrible. Yeah. And I don't know anything about his other actors. I'm not saying he's a bad actor, but he is not good. Uh, well, Soka. his his he's best known for, for the Twilight movies. Yeah, playing Jasper Hale in the Twilight Saga. So he's I'm, okay. Well, there we, whoa, hold on. Never mind. It's this movie's fault. Because he's actually not bad as Jack, as a character in the worst books possible, <laughs> and it is terrible as one of my favorite characters on TV ever. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so it's the movies. I'm not sure that that uh, I would have pinned his performance in this as like his performance. I really think my problem. I don't know. There were very few times watching this where I was like, God, if this actor was better, this character would be better. Really, I just blamed the, the movie itself for all of the terrible characters. That's because, again, Soka is Sokka with literally every ounce of personality drained in, the, in Shyamalan's attempt to, again, ground the brother character. Uh, I, yeah, it's baffling. It makes no sense. He's literally just a person who is there and says things. I think there's one joke in the movie. I think, there? there's, I think there's one joke where Katara tries to waterbend and then the, the camera like pans over and she like – there's like a block of ice around Soka. Yeah, which was pulled directly from the first episode. of the- <laughs> Right. And he just goes, really, Katara? And that's the extent of Soka's humor in this movie. The, uh, and- did, did either of you notice that the first scene we get of uh, Katara and Soka – uh, is her trying to waterbend, and we get our first look at how terrible the special effects for waterbending are going to be. And then she drops it off camera, um, and that's when Soka stands up and says, don't do that around me. I always end up getting wet whenever you do that. He's not wet. Like, supposedly, that dry- <laughs> she dropped water on his head. He is bone dry when he stands up, complaining that she just dropped <laughs> water on his head. Is that Was that a line from the the show? I mean, it's it's that's a play on the line. In the very first episode, they're in the boat, and he's trying to spear a fish, and she's messing around with water behind him. Because that is that is a great double entendre <laughs> for being like for the first real line of dialogue in this movie. I always get wet when you do that around me. Uh, wow, that was that was great. We got to move on. That yeah. was terrible. Can't, I can't get there. So uh, speaking uh, of Katara, Nicola Peltz also. I don't know if she's a good actress or not, but this yeah. is an incredibly dry and dull version of he, Katara. The, supposedly a uh, dry performance. I, I totally just I, I that um, brilliant. I wish I had done that on purpose. Go wow, ahead. That was that was <laughs> ama- that was amazing. Um, supposedly he like went to bat for her. Like he said he was he wouldn't make the film without her as Katara, and he. He cited, like I think he referenced the Haley Joel Osment thing, where, like he he felt like he created that young man's career, like he cast that brilliantly, and and that young actor made the film, and he felt the same way about Nicola Peltz. Oh. So again, like you, Eric, I've I've never seen her in anything else. I have no idea if she can actually act, but she's awful in this. Um, yeah, she's she, not. She's not good. She's better than than Jackson Rathbone, but otherwise. 
Her other notable film is Transformers: Age of Extinction. Oh, jeez, I didn't uh, see that. Though I will, I will say I've not seen the show. I've heard good things about it. Uh, she's been on like three seasons of Bates Motel. So, okay. wait, totally wait, is she, she's good is she, does she play Marky Mark's daughter in that she, movie in Age of Extinction? Uh, she plays Tessa Yeager. So yes, yes, because Yeager was his name, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, so I was saying. Yeah. Looked it up. Yep, she plays his daughter. Oh man, and that's exactly what what she needed was a little Michael Bay movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm going to use this. I'm going to use the Michael Bay connection here as a segue. Uh, so, Shyam- Like I said, I found a number of quotes from Shyamalan about this movie. There are three in particular that I want to talk about because I want to talk about Sh- the, the the interesting thing about M Night Shyamalan. I mentioned at the beginning that he is a clearly very talented director who at some point lost the ability to display that talent in a coherent or effective manner. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's easy to peg it as ego because, I mean, if, if people don't remember, back when The Sixth Sense came out, the hype on this guy was he was the next Spielberg. Mm-hmm. In a way that and people say that all the time, oh, he's the next Spielberg. People were serious. People were legitimately pitching M. Night Shyamalan as being the next Spielberg. And The Sixth Sense was a great movie. I get it. I, I get the hype. But the hype on this guy was so enormous that his ego rapidly ballooned in interviews and everything. And he be- started to become very, very defensive. Um of all of his choices. In fact, uh, the o- one of the only memorable things about Lady in the Water is that there there's a character who plays uh, a, a critic. I don't know if he's a film critic or a stage critic or whatever, but a character plays a critic and gets mauled to death by the weird uh, werewolf villain of that movie. And M. Night Shyamalan himself, who's had a cameo in all of his movies, ex- Except for this one, maybe. Um, he Shyamalan. He's in, no, he's in the He's in the prison. Oh, okay, okay. Shyamalan himself plays a writer who saves the world with his storytelling. In Lady in the Water. Uh, so, yeah, that's that, so that is not the work of an egotist at all. Yeah. So something. Yeah. So so something happened to him. I think I think ego might be the problem. But here here are a few quotes. Um, this is from an interview uh, with a vulture. Uh, he did not understand the negative reviews of the film and said, I bring as much integrity to the table as humanly possible. It must be a language thing in terms of, of a particular accent, a storytelling accent. I can only see it this certain way, and I don't know how to think in another language. I think these are exactly the visions that are in my head, so I don't know how to adjust it without being me. So almost a follow, except that it was awful. Yeah, so that, that's uh, that, that doesn't really address any criticisms uh, of the movie. Uh, hold Ooh. on, this. Oh, you have another quote? Sorry, you want to ask? No, 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 go, go, go ahead. There? Oh, is it so the, the one of the things I was reading was one of his more recent interviews where his defense of this movie was that the show was for nine year olds. Oh, okay, please, please let it up. Please. Please let me oh, read this. Go, please, please. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Please let me read this. I can't find the second quote. This was the third quote I wanted 
to mention. So yes, this was this interview was from last year. Someone asked him about the negative response to the last Airbender, including from uh, the creators of Avatar. And this is M Night Shyamalan's response <laughs> in full. It's really weird because on the show, the average age was like nine years old. My child was nine years old. So you can make it one of two ways. You could make it for that same audience, which is what I did for nine and 10 year olds, or you could do the Transformers version and have Megan Fox. I didn't do that. That would have felt like, well, I'm going to make a movie about a kid show that my 10 year old is watching and not make it for her. I make it for my guy friends. That felt like a betrayal of the innocence of the piece. In retrospect, is it too young to go out? It's like what your intention is versus what they want it to be. Clearly, 10-year-olds, I go out, and 10-year-olds are like, that's my favorite show. I love that movie. Parents come up to me and go, they've watched The Last Airbender 74 times. Those kids, it's for them. It was for them to talk about mysticism and Eastern philosophies through a 10-year-old's vernacular. So, you know, these are business propositions, which have very little interest to me, of like, hey, the business proposition is to get Megan Fox to be, you know, you should age it till it's that. That wasn't the source material, you know what I mean? Whereas, also, like a Transformers, it's really fascinating because it's valid for Transformers. You know why it's valid? Because it's the little boys that are playing with them are grown up now. They're the ones who wanted to see Megan Fox. That's absolutely appropriate. You know what I mean? Wow. Except the, the, again, except the, the film. Question again, the question again was, what do you think of the negative response to this movie? <laughs> okay, so he, he talked about how this film was, uh, was great for young kids to watch, uh, to introduce them to Eastern philosophy and all that, except the film never does that. The series did that. The series absolutely did that. The You're film, right. I don't think the film ever does anything with that. There's some vague philosophical mumbo jumbo, but I think it really does just like like the hand waving just falls under the category of, you know, generic fantasy movie stuff. And how is this movie for now? How is his adaptation for nine year olds? How is the adaptation which took all of the action out of things, took every bit of humor and charm and now how is that the nine the nine year version the adaptation that he made like wh- on what planet what he did and what was wrong with that movie because he refused to make it more mature i think i think what he's trying to say here and again it's almost impossible to decipher what he is actually trying to say here i think what he's trying he's trying to because again, the ego prevents him from admitting he made a mistake, which is why I had the first quote because he, you know, when you make a movie that people don't like, it's not like you're a politician who, you know, made an awful decision that ruined people's lives. You don't have to go out and like admit your wrongdoing. You made a movie people didn't like. You can still like the movie you made. But the, I picked the first quote from the Vulture interview because it really shows no self-awareness of why people may not have enjoyed the movie. And I think what he's trying to do here in this masterful quote is he, he cannot admit that he made a bad movie. So his, his gut defense of it is, well, it was for kids because, you know, if you say something like that, that sort of sweeps under the rug, any criticisms like, well, yeah, you didn't like it because you're not a kid. Um, but then the, I, the the fact that he repeatedly brings up Megan Fox, I don't, I, 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 it's baffling to me. I, I don't think he can admit he made a bad movie, and also he thinks about Megan Fox a lot. 
<laughs> well, don't we all? Come on. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could have put Megan Fox's guitar. It could have been. I, mean, I could have. <laughs> um, Arlo, I'm surprised that you haven't brought this up. The uh, the Roger Ebert review. Oh yes, the the Roger Ebert review of the Last Airbender is. Oh, I've got a, can, I, can I read this opening quote because this quote yes. is and I love it, and I got to read my man Ebert on this. The Last Airbender is an agonizing experience in every category I can think of, and others still waiting to be invented. Yep. Yes. Yep. I, I mean, the rest of that is the laws of chance suggest that something should have gone right. Not here. It puts a nail in the coffin of low rent 3D, but it will need a lot more coffins than that. <laughs> Roger Ebert, uh, a man who was, who loved the movie so much, he he was so extraordinarily generous in his reviews, even for movies that I, you know, thought were, you know, crap. He gave this movie half a star. Yep. For Roger Ebert to give a film half a star, it has to be utterly excruciating. And what I actually really liked about his review, I don't know if he had actually – the review clearly indicates he has seen some of Avatar. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that he would have sat down and watched the whole thing. But I know he had, he had grandkids who probably were around the right age when that show was out. But he goes out of his way to, 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 to say in the review that Avatar was a good show – that had um, what he says is the animation of the Nickelodeon TV series drew on the bright colors and clear line style of such masters as Miyazaki and was a pleasure to observe. So he, he says, he says very complimentary things about the show like that. So I like that uh, because one one of the things I hate when something uh, like the last airbender comes out. uh, Yeah. Avatar was a really popular kid show, but the audience for something like that is still, especially among adult moviegoers, is still pretty small. So what I hate is when something like The Last Airbender comes out, people just sort of knee-jerk assume that what it's based on is also total bullshit. Yep. yep. So I really like that Eber goes out of his way to say that's not the case. His last line of the review is, I close with the hope that the title proves prophetic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Uh. God, yeah, it's yeah. Well, I mean, how how much further do we want to go with this? Well, let's let's talk very briefly about uh, M Night Shyamalan's aspirations of a trilogy. Okay, as right. evidenced by his Thanos esque um, <laughs> credits. Pre, really, it's a pre credit scene, but it's like right, it's after everything when we get Fire Lord Ozai, and, and again, again, in another profoundly boring version of a scene from the show. When Fire Lord Ozai talks to Azula and tells her that it's time for her to go after the Avatar. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it is like both bad because, oh, you're making Azula boring too. Like that's already irritating me. But also at that point in the movie, after you, you've sat through like 97 minutes of this movie, you're thinking, holy fuck, you think you're going to get to make another one? <laughs> right. And can we talk about the, the actual ending of this movie real quick before the 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 that weird scene um it ends (laughs) it ends with everyone now i don't remember the exact scene in the show but the movie ends with everyone like on their knees bowing to ang yeah and including katara 
including Katara and Aang like seemingly okay with it because he does some weird fancy motions and just like stands there for eternity as the camera slowly I, dollies in on him. I, I can't believe I'm going to try and explain this. I, I didn't like the scene either. And I think it's, I, I just it goes, I, it goes against a lot of what the show is about. Yeah. But in, in the film that was set up because they said that, uh, when he was telling the story of when they first, when the monks first told him he was going to be the avatar, um, everyone bowed to him and he didn't accept the role. So he didn't bow in return. Uh, like he ran away. That was the whole thing. So at the end, they, that was Katara. That was everybody saying you are our avatar. They bowed to show that. And then he, I guess that counts as a bow, the weird pose that he gets in. But anyways, it's stupid. And it, it was, I don't I hated it, but, that's what it was trying to do in the context of the film. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, Sh- Shyamalan wanted to make a trilogy. Nickelodeon was willing to spend $250 million total mm-hmm. for three films. They wound up spending $150 million on the production of just The Last Airbender, which was Shyamalan's most expensive movie at that time, probably still is. And then another 130 on marketing. So this movie cost $280 million all told. Only made uh, worldwide, let me get the exact number here, uh, worldwide the film only made $319.7 million. So we're looking at, what, $40 million in profits, plus I'm sure it made something on video. Um, but still, this is not a movie. Every and a movie with uh, such negative reception as this. I mean, this is clearly clearly a movie that was never going to get a sequel. And yet, last year, Shyamalan, in another goddamn interview, claimed that after he finished his next film, he was going to start work on the Last Airbender two. As far as I know, he already has a script, at least a treatment. For a script, for it's it. probably an adaptation of all twenty fucking episodes of uh, of season two. Uh, I I I want to know. I understand the man is an egotist. Is he also delusional? There is no way that movie gets made, right? Yeah, there's there's no there's no business case for it. There's no case that he would be the one to do it if there was another one. And. You know, okay, actually, you know what, hold on. I feel hold like on. franchises have been built on worse than, not worse, but I mean, the, the money that we're talking about, I feel like sequels have been made for films that have done less financially well than this. Well, I mean, if they were going to do this, they would absolutely probably recast it because the international market being what it is, like yeah. whitewashing The Last Airbender is not going to be what gets you money across the world and mm-hmm. thus they probably would not do that so i think at the Plus, very least and also they're all like 30 now so <laughs> right, right. but okay but i just want to say that i'm i'm now a little sad that we do not get to see m night Shyamalan's version of the Dai Li. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that, that's a thing that almost happened m night Shyamalan's Dai Li. Or King Boomy. Can you imagine what King Boomy would be like in a... In this? Why did he skip King Boomy? Why did we get the prison episode and not King Boomy? <laughs> uh, oh, man, we could have gotten the King of Amashu. Uh, yeah, I just... Uh, I, if, if the sequel does get made... It won't. It won't. If it does, I will be so 
disgusted with the film, just the film industry in general. Because how does a guy like M. Night Shyamalan, because I remember at the time people were wondering why Shyamalan was even given a chance to direct this, because he had already had a string of high profile flops. How, how does this happen? How do, and it's, you know, and you'll notice it's only uh, male directors that get these ridiculous chances again and again to fuck up like this. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I don't even know how we live in a world where M. Night Shyamalan was allowed to do The Last Airbender in the first place. Uh, yeah, I, okay, so, all right, well, let's think positively before we close out here. And I have a question for you all. We're going to start with Paul. And um, the question is, if M. Night Shyamalan were going to direct one episode, one full episode, okay, adapt one full episode of Avatar The Last Airbender, what episode would you have him do? If Shyamalan was going to take just a single episode and adapt it, just yes, one single episode in its totality. We've seen him try to play at into some a film piece of episode, one episode. He's going to do a live a action adaptation of a complete episode of God. Avatar: The Last Airbender from any season. Could even be the prison episode based on what you saw, <laughs> whatever you think. So I want to know which episode of Avatar: The Last Airbender does M Night Shyamalan adapt? Oh man. Um... How about well, – hang on. Now I want to – I can't remember the name of the episode now. Um, the, 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 the one with the dance party. What the hell was the name of that episode in book three? Oh, the, the, the Footloose episode? Yeah. Okay, why? Just because I was trying to – because I don't want him to ruin any of the good ones. <laughs> that, was a, that was a – damn you. That was a good episode. Uh <laughs> So I, I have an answer for this. Okay. Uh, book two, episode four, The Swamp. Uh, because that way, I would, in comparison, I would then like The Swamp Benders on the show. <laughs> I guess I could have said The Great Divide. But... <laughs> All right, God, what, about, more boring. what about you, Eric? I've actually got a serious answer to this. Um, I was waffling between two, but I'm going to go with Zuko alone. And my reasoning is twofold. One is um, Zuko was who he got the least bad. And two is that is an episode that is almost entirely introspective and character-based. And M. Night Shyamalan can actually pull that off. Okay. Interesting. So yeah. Arlo and I went the uh, the careful route because we don't want to see him damage anything. And you're 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 giving him a shot. I, I mean, I'm, I'm stuck with it. I mean, I, I guess I should have given him a Dai Li episode now that we think about it. But, <laughs> um, I really missed my shot there. I could have given him any of those last episodes. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, if it's, just, it's too bad he doesn't get this movie. It was really, it was really disappointing. Arlo, thank you for um, making me watch this in this context because it's the only context I could have survived. Anytime, Eric. Anytime. Um, but boy, we next up. Oh man, we're getting to, we're getting back to Cora next week. Oh hey, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I have a potentially serious answer to the to the which episode should he direct question. All right. Uh, what about the the painted lady? Because that is a that is classic Shaman. There's like a twist at the end and everything, or we find out <laughs> that the painted lady you know isn't real oh and God. it's Katara the whole time. Didn't he already do the lady in the water? He did. He did. But oh my God, wait, that is like. 
if you were going to do a parody episode about <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan directing an episode of Avatar, <laughs> choose that episode and then go full fucking bore into M. Night Shyamalan land with it. Yeah, I mean, there's even like a... Yeah, you've got like the sick villagers and stuff. He's done. He's done that shit already. So, so, uh, so would uh, would Shyamalan himself play uh, the? I can't even remember his yes. horrible name. The the, the brothers. Yeah. The guy who's the same yeah. guy. Of course yeah. he would. <laughs> I'm so into this. Genius. I want to see this now. <laughs> okay. God. Oh, well, Paul, save us! You're a you're a horrible, horrible thing to do this to us, Arlo. So, um. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I'm so sorry. I, I apologize. Um, but uh, as always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at our website, theavatarreturns.com, if you still want to. Uh, links will also be posted on our parent show site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com, um, or subscribe to the show on iTunes uh, to make sure you never miss another exciting episode or any exciting episode. Uh, while you're there, be a hero and rate us or write us a review. Help spread the word. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, and I know you would, I know you have things to say to us now, uh, please send your correspondence, uh, care of Monkey Yahtzee, at tarpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and of course, you can always find us on social media if you have other things that you want to say to us. Uh, Facebook.com slash The Avatar Returns or Twitter.com slash tarpodcast. And on Twitter, I am at Haunt1013, Eric is at Salon, that's S-A-A-L-O-N, and Arlo is at Unplugged Crazy. Be sure to write to him and tell him what you think of all of this. Um, next, we uh, will finally get back to The Legend of Korra. It's about time. Enough of this, this dilly-dallying. Uh, we're going to begin Book 2, Spirits, and we're going in big uh, with the first four chapters, 201 through 204. Rebel Spirit... The Southern Lights, Civil Wars Part 1, and Civil Wars Part 2. So uh, we'll wash the horrible taste out of our mouths with some Legend of Korra. Until then, remember, God damn you, Arlo J. Wiley. M. Night Shyamalan, you're a good movie guy. I really like all your good movies because your movies are good and I like them very much. Oh, M. Night Shyamalan. You're a good movie man You make very nice movies All the people like your movies Cause your movies are spectacular M. Night Shyamalan I watch your movies and I like them very much You made The Sixth Sense What a very good movie You are a genius M. Night Shyamalan I really loved Unbreakable and signs in the village and the happening yeah 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 M. Night Shyamalan you're a good Philadelphia guy you make your movies in Philadelphia that is a good place to make your movies you are wonderful you are spectacular I respect you because you're very nice M. Night Shyamalan you are good man Philadelphia la 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 do we want to mispronounce our names at the beginning? <laughs> yes. I mean, I can't, how would I? Uh, Powell? No. Uh, Powell's what I thought of. Um, Pole? Don't, I don't care what you do. Don't tell me what it's going to be. Just figure it out and do it. Okay. Okay. All right. Jesus. So much pressure. I really didn't want to put this much thought into this bullshit. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Everyone ready? I'm ready. Yep. Okay.
three, two, one, avatar.